0: So stupid,
1: he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. day. Why does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Today in motorsport, wait, shouldn't the decimal point be before the two instead of after? Welcome back to Motorsport 101!
2: Thanks a mummy, you are the world
1: champion! Filling in for your friendly neighborhood host Andre Harrison, I'm RJ O'Connell. I have Ryan King and Cam Buckley with me. Welcome to episode 206 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. We're here, y'all. It's summer break.
2: Yay! I man, I I wish I wish my employer would make the same mistake as MotoGP on my paychecks. Just 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 move the. the Decimal point just over by mistake, just one
1: day. Oh, that's the biggest mood. <laughs> <laughs> now, King, what are your plans for summer break?
2: So, my plan for summer break, even though technically it's at the end of the summer break is uh
1: going to the
2: abc supply 500 at pocono raceway
1: ah that sounds interesting no summer book ratings or trips to visit the family or even a trip to your local water park where the slide is dangerous and hasn't been shut down due to health and safety violations i might stop at that water park on the way to pocono <laughs> excellent Be- remember folks you can get your action park t-shirts at cam um what summer break plans do you have um potentially buying an old corvette oh man that's wonderful i'm probably just gonna go to some racetrack far away go to a track meet or some cars some sports cars that'll be there i don't know somewhere in japan i guess a couple weeks time. no big deal right <laughs> yeah no <laughs> huge deal i just you know Gets to be a member of the press for it. No, no huge deal. We got a lot going on. We got a lot going on this show. We had a damn good 41 race. Yes, we did. We had a Hungarian Grand Prix that, while not so much chaotic like our last time out in Germany, it was still a very good race as Lewis Hamilton and Mats Verstappen treated us to one of the classic duels of the modern era. Hamilton coming away with the victory, but only just in a Hungarian Grand Prix determined by strategy and by some exciting racing. We'll talk about that. There's some other stories we'll get into as well. We also had MotoGP. Well, I mentioned that Dre is not here. Well, sort of. He'll be here to talk about uh, a very awesome weekend where Marc Marquez had one of the greatest qualifying laps in any form of motorsport ever. And then went on to win the race because he's Mark Marquez, and that's what Mark Marquez does. And the save of the year in Moto 2. Oh my sweet Jesus. That was something amazing. If you have not seen at Stephen Adendall's pass, uh, uh that save. What what a what a what a goddamn feat of motorcycling. We also have Formula 2 and Formula 3 to talk about from the same Hungarian Grand Prix meeting. As Mick Schumacher finally breaks his bad luck run. Nicholas Latifi gets back to his winning race. And ART Grand Prix finally win in Formula 3 for a change. It's been a long time coming. And also the other news as well from the worlds of IMSA and Super GT. Again, we are Motorsport 101. We are a proud independent weekly motorsport podcast who gets by and support from listeners like you and of course you can listen to us on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and if you want to follow our personal handles you can at harrison 101 hd at ryan eric king with two k's at RJ O'Connell with two N's and two L's, and at C Buckley 917 with no vowels. And if you really, really like Motorsport 101, you can give us our money. You can give us your money. We're, <laughs> we're allowed to get our own money. <laughs> yes, for $5 a month, on Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101, you can listen to every podcast early. And for $10 a month, you can get in the Supporters Club of our Discord session, ask us for details, and listen in to these shows as they are being recorded. And what a live studio audience we got! We have Vincent, we have Jason, we have Brian, who we had to silence before our recording! We have Toki and we have Rezi at 3 o'clock in
3: the morning Indonesia time. Who listens to a motorsport podcast recording at 3 in the
1: morning? Oh, oh boy. boy. 3 a.m. <laughs> all of that. All of that and more. Again, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Your support helps us a lot. And for all of our podcast, written materials, videos, we're at motorsport101.com. Well, we got a lot to get into, but we learned some very sad news over the weekend on Sunday that the founder of Dams, uh, John Paul Drio, left us at age 68. Dams, of course, under the leadership of John Paul Drio, has been responsible for nurturing some of the best and brightest future stars of Formula One and other forms of motor racing, and most recently has been the uh, the architect of the former Renault, now Nissan, eDams team. Uh, which won three straight teams championships in Formula E from the first to the third seasons, won the drivers championship with Sebastian Buemi And King, uh, I think it's fair to say we've lost uh we've lost a really great guy in and Drio, have we not? Yeah,
2: like I everyone's had good things to say about him. Uh unfortunately yeah, he, he wasn't in good health leading up to this. He missed a lot of events. People like openly missed him seeing around seeing him around the Formula E paddock, but he always went to every race that he could attend in person.
1: Yeah, it was it was a real shame and this happened just as Dams were competing in a Formula Two event, which, you know, that was Dams' bread and butter, um, Formula Two and all of its predecessors, GP two, Formula three thousand before it and, you know, some of the names that have come up through through dams. I mean, most recently we had Alexander Albon with that fantastic season in 2018. But, uh, you know, you look through some of the names of the other drivers who have raced for him. I mean, you think of some notable uh, current Formula One stars. Guys like uh, Pierre Gasly, Romain Grosjean have driven for him, Kevin Magnussen, Carlos Sainz, among so many others. And those are just the guys who made it in. Uh, you had guys Damn. like Julian Palmer won a championship for him. Davide Valsecchi won a championship for him. Marcus Erickson, Alex Lin, Kaznakajima, Nakajima, Kamui Kobayashi, Jerome D'Ambrosio, Nicola Lapierre, Jose Maria Lopez, Sebastian Bourdais. And it wasn't just single-seaters and electric cars. Dams was also very much involved in sports car racing, Cam. Yeah, um, they were
3: one of the two teams who... Competed in 2000 with the eventually ill-fated Cadillac North Star LMP effort. And, um, I mean, you talk about endurance racing drivers, as you mentioned, Kaz Nakajima, multiple Le Mans winner. Alan McNish, multiple Le Mans winner.
1: Yes, Alan McNish raced for them too. Yep. And um, it's a huge loss for the sport. It really is. uh, A statement from the team. Uh, it's with great sadness that Dams announces its founder and owner, Jean Paul Driot, passed away at the age of 68. Jean Paul lost an ongoing battle with illness, which he had fought in recent months. We wish our sincerest condolences to his wife, Genevieve, and his two sons, Olivier and Gregory. Under Jean-Paul's guidance, Dams has won 13 drivers and 12 teams championships, including 147 races in Formula 3000, Formula 3.5, GP3 Series, GP2 Series, Formula 2, and Formula E since the team was created in 1988. Jean-Paul, was mentioned, has also overseen the progression of many talented young drivers on their route to Formula 1. The entire Dams team wishes to dedicate... Nicholas Latifi's win, and Sergio Sete's camera podium in Hungary to Jean-Paul's memory. Rest well, Jean-Paul, 68 years old. After this break, we'll be back to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix. You no, know, when it comes to the Hungarian Grand Prix, sometimes this race can be pretty drab, pretty dull. But I think it's fair to say that uh, if you're looking for excitement, that this Hungarian Grand Prix passed the Buddha test. <laughs>
3: <sighs> I wouldn't quite put it as the Buddha best, but it was an excellent race.
1: Yeah, it was certainly better than the Buddha rest. <laughs> Y'all, what has been up with Formula One lately? We have been getting absolute bangers of races, nonstop the, all summer. I think the French Grand Prix was just
3: that bad that the balance had to swing back. That we had to get a hot race summer.
1: Oh my God. And <laughs> we start with qualifying, where, yes, Matt Sversapin finally got his first pole position, <laughs> becoming the 100th different pole winner in Formula One history. I know all that I think the big story out of qualifying though George Russell almost made it out of q1 everybody <laughs> holy shit the Williams George, was semi-competitive George Fabulous. Russell George Russell was provisionally ninth at one point in the final minutes of q1 and he only just got relegated by five one hundredths of a second
3: yeah um Williams massive upgrade package that they brought in the last race. Well, they got to understanding it better, and the car is like almost kinda at the midfield now. And George Russell, you could say him—he was driving that car at the absolute limit in qualifying. Yeah, because there I there was know, nothing well,
1: he, left in it. While well, he doesn't have the point that Williams has, he's been by far. Uh, the quickest driver, race on, race and race in red. As we expected, George Russell is a tremendous talent and races like that, solidified that. But yes, finally, Mats Verstappen is on pole position. Valtteri Bottas alongside him on the front row. Lewis Hamilton, and Charles Leclerc on row two. Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly on row three. It's lights out and away we. Lewis Hamilton gets a good run out of turn one, but he can't quite pass Mats Verstappen. And he gets into it with his teammate, and you're thinking, finally, Matt Verstappen has got the job done. He's got a clean start. There is no way Mercedes comes back from this. And then they break out the chessboard. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Well, Lewis Hamilton caught up to Matt Verstappen in time, and they had some thrilling wheel-to-wheel racing uh, in the middle stages of the race. Uh, again, Verstappen led from pole position. Hamilton got past Botas at turn two, um, and Red Bull looked to have the strategy nailed down. Uh, they pitted Verstappen sit-slaps beforehand, Hamilton and ended up with a 2nd lead. Uh, both drivers were running the hard tires at the time. But then things got exciting. Hamilton hunted Verstappen down. He launched an attack that almost clinched in lead, but he backed off to cool his brakes. But then Mercedes did something interesting, and in the eyes of some, it was a boneheaded decision at the time. Yeah, um, one, one
3: William Buxton, well, he <laughs> said, unless Verstappen finds a big wall, there's no way Hamilton can catch him.
1: At this time, Verstappen was on the hard tires, and Lewis Hamilton was pitted on lap 48 to fit a fresh set of medium tires, which put him out nearly 20 seconds behind uh, Max Verstappen at the time. Hungary, as we all know, uh, is a very tight and technical track, and overtaking is not easy to come by.
2: Uh, But little did we know, Mercedes knew the secret key at Hungary. If you have the lead... You don't want to be the last person out on track to pit.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, Lewis questioned the strategy at the time, but Mats was also questioning when he heard that Hamilton had pitted, why Why didn't they cover for him? Martin Brundle, I believe him, said that they caught, at Mercedes caught Red Bull napping. But it would have taken for Stappen to hit a cliff on his times, and sure enough, with about 15 laps to go, Max's lap times dropped down to the high 120s as Lewis Hamilton is putting in consistent 118s. And within a matter of seconds, 15 seconds was gone. Yeah, I mean, with
3: uh, with Lewis, he got the gap down to the point where Max couldn't cover it with a pit stop. And then the gap just hovered around 15 seconds for a couple of laps. I'm just thinking... They're saving that car, they're cooling that car, and he is going to go Hamilton? Thor's hammer time.
1: Yeah, it's hammer time indeed. And Hamilton,
3: he was pulling a second and a quarter out consistently every single lap.
1: It's funny because uh you know, we we mentioned Hamilton is very good around this Hungar Ring. Has is been historically. Right? Yeah, um and
3: now many, many, many time winner at the Hungaro Ring.
1: I believe this is his seventh win at the circuit in his career. Yeah, he is very good at this play, so you never want to count him out. Uh, Hamilton ran down Verstappen, and eventually uh, Verstappen just couldn't keep the tires to last. Hamilton made the pass. Verstappen just completely ran out. They pitted him at the end to go back onto a set of softs. Uh, they did get the fastest lap out of it, but it was Lewis Hamilton who took the victory by 17.7 seconds over Mats Verstappen. In a race that, you know, you look at the result and you think, okay, well, normal service has resumed after Germany. We got our set for now. But if you watch, go watch the race. If you can't watch the race, at least watch the highlights because this was a very good very good Hungarian Grand Prix, and it gave us, I think, what a lot of people have been hoping for. A wheel-to-wheel fight for the race win between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Straight up, no asterisk, no foolishness at the end, just a good, hard race between the two. Yeah, and this was no Mercedes walkover. They had to work for this one. Yeah, they, uh... Yeah, because they didn't have it all together during qualifying. And as we've mentioned, the W10B, it was a massive upgrade package, but they were still lacking balance, and they're just now starting to find it. Yeah, and Mercedes
3: also supposedly, and this is not super confirmed, but apparently they brought a new fuel this race. 20 extra horsepower across the board on engine modes for less fuel consumption, and it showed at the end of that race.
1: Of course, not 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 all of the Mercedes drivers had that same luck Valtteri no. Bottas uh, was passed in turn 2 and he made contact i believe first with Lewis Hamilton and then i believe was it Charles Leclerc made contact with him next
3: yes it was um Charles Leclerc just frankly chopped his uh, he chopped his front wing right off
1: Yes, that broke Botas' front wing. He was por- forced to pit early on lap six. It dropped him back through the field. And because Hungary is such a tight track, even with the Mercedes, Botas was just never able to improve past uh, eighth place in the end. And at a time where his, uh, his future with Mercedes is really under uh, some consideration, as Mercedes try and figure out what to do with their third driver in waiting Esteban Ocon, This was not necessarily the result that he needed, and this one wasn't even Valtteri's fault, King.
2: No, it really wasn't. Like, from that moment in lap one, this entire race was compromised. There was, it pretty much not only set him back in terms of track position, but, you know, especially at a place where track position is so important.
1: He was a lap off the lead King. Only four cars finished on the lead lap.
3: Which brings us to our next team. Ferrari! As oh turns- my god!
1: <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, we weren't kidding when we said that the Ferrari's not good in slow corners. Because, yeah, they finished third and fourth. They were over a minute back of the leader. They were not that far from being lapped!
3: <laughs> Oof. Oh. And, and this is with a car that you know, we know how the Ferrari is balanced in terms of where it makes its its very poor lap time. They were going purple in Sector 1 constantly, only to be so bad in Sector 2 and 3 that it didn't matter.
1: Right. Hungary's got a lot of slow to medium speed corners, and that just doesn't suit the Ferrari. So we knew that was going to be a tricky race for them from the beginning. Against Sebastian Vettel, he overtook Charles Leclerc uh, in the closing laps to get third position because Leclerc had just hit, a, hit the wall with his tires as well. Vettel did come back to finish third, but 61 seconds off the lead. So we'll take the 15 points, but, and you know, we said that the team's making progress from where they were last, that's uh, the start of the season, but uh, it's not encouraging when they're this far back.
3: Yeah, they brought a massive bargeboard upgrade package, and they said it worked. And Vettel, he made no... He didn't try to get around it in post-race. Why, why are we not fast enough? Not an, not enough
1: grip. Just not enough grip. Vettel ran deep in the race to allow him to take in the softs on this final stit, and that ultimately helped him get past Leclerc in the end. Uh, so again, it was Vettel in third, uh, Charles Leclerc fourth, and... In the Formula 1.5 race, Carlos Sainz Jr. (laughs) Carlos Sainz Jr. continues to be excellent at McLaren. He continues to prove why we voted him Driver of the Year in 2017, and why maybe his struggles last year weren't all on him.
3: Yeah, and uh, he's putting together another Driver of the Year candidate season. He is... Driving out of his mind right now in that McLaren,
1: and he's doing this. um He outplaced the uh, the guy who, who we probably should have been in the place of instead of him. Pierre Gasly ended up finishing sits behind Carlos Sainz, which again we talk about drivers and top teams whose futures are very much in question. This was not the kind of performance that Pierre Gasly needed. Nine tenths off of Max Verstappen qualifying. Off the lead lap is Verstappen is contending for victory, finishing between a McLaren and an Alfa Romeo. Christian Horner said, we should not be fighting McLarens and Salvers for positions.
3: So far, you have to say that Christian Horner has been in Gasly's corner. Mm-hmm. We're kind of getting to the stage where now Horner's had enough because you can't be nine-tenths off of your teammate.
1: They've said he would... Uh, They've said he say he'll stay out the rest of the season, but you just have to wonder what what's next beyond that, and if he does get dropped, where does he go next? Is it back to Toro Rosso? Is it out of F1 entirely? That's a discouraging result, but take nothing away from what Carlos Sainz was able to do. He had a brilliant weekend that started with him qualifying 8th uh, and ended up finishing in 5th place. That's another fantastic result for Carlos Sainz, who is now... Only five points off of Pierre Gasly in the World Drivers' Championship. Which, you know, you can interpret that as an indictment against uh, Pierre Gasly, but it's also a real testament to the kind of gains that McLaren have made from last year to this year and how well Carlos Sainz has gelled with that team. And it didn't stop. All the good fortune did not stop with uh, Sainz because Lando Norris also got the team two more points with a ninth-place finish of his own. While also poisoning the entire McLaren Technology Center. Oh, no. Oh, God. So this one's going to need some contest. So they let Lando Norris be in charge of the of the company barbecue. And uh, he was in charge of making steaks. And uh, the steaks were raised. I'm not sure they were thoroughly cooked.
2: <laughs> oh, they were very rare. <laughs>
1: Remember when we talked during the Iowa show about how <laughs> about how James Hinchcliffe <laughs> accidentally undercooked the chicken for Alexander Rossi? Maybe he got tips while
3: that Arrow S- SPM representative <laughs> was in the garage. Oh my
1: god, it makes sense. It's all connected, man. By the way, that was Carlos Sainz's fifth, excuse me, his second top five finish. That's as many as Pierre has in a Red Bull. Mm. Something to think about. As we mentioned, Valtteri Bottas only finished 8th. He was behind Kimi Raikkonen in 7th, and it was a tale of two races for Alfa Romeo. Raikkonen had a great weekend. Antonio Giovinazzi had a terrible weekend. He never got out of the back positions. He had to start the race with a grid penalty, and he finished 18th. Yeah, and this
3: is also Kimmy had to hold off Bottas on relatively fresh tires near the end in an Alfa Romeo,
1: and he did it. My goodness, when, Kimi's when people keep...
3: say when people say, "Hey, maybe he shouldn't have been booted out of Ferrari." Kind of keeps proving
1: that. Oh my goodness, Kimmy has been excellent this season. As a driver, he's really having to shoulder the load for Alfa Romeo as. Antonio, he's quick over a single lap, and we'll get into this in our midterm review potentially next week, but man, it's been tough going for Antonio, but Kimmy's really having to do a lot of the legwork for a team that, you know, much like Ferrari, much better things were expected out of them in preseason testing than what they've actually delivered so far. Yeah. Jeez, it's almost a common theme with Ferrari-powered teams. Yeah. Luckily, Toro Rosso doesn't have to worry about that because they're Honda-powered, and just like Hamilton versus Verstappen, the Toro Rosso teammates gave us some good wheel-to-wheel racing as Daniel Kvyat and Alex Albon were pretty much side-by-side for most of the lap. Ultimately, Alex Albon got the better of that exchange, and he comes away with a 10th-place finish following up his 6th place in Germany. Daniel Kvyat doesn't finish inside the points, but hey, that's another solid weekend for Toro Rosso, I believe. Yeah, I agree.
3: Um, Toro Rosso continuing to pick up points here and there
1: after the big haul last weekend. Oh, man. It's still that third and sixth place finish. What a a fantastic performance for Toro Rosso. Uh, So we'll get into the rest of our finishers here. Folks, I admit... I had a long, long day because uh, because I was covering other motorsports events, which we'll talk about later in the show. I spent most of the day asleep. I'll be real with you. So <laughs> I woke up to the end of the Hamilton for Sappen Duel thinking that, oh, geez, we had a, another snoozer on our hands. But then I had to watch back and see what had unfolded. This was a pretty damn good race. Dre gave this one an 8 out of 10. King, what do you reckon of this one?
2: Ooh, I was more leaning on 7 out of 10, while the Hamilton-Verstappen duel was fantastic, I would say after you know the opening laps, up until Hamilton and Verstappen actually fried, started fighting wheel-to-wheel, there's a big, very, very long lull in the middle of the race, so I, I knocked it down 1
3: point to a 7 out of 10. I'll split the difference and go seven and a half. I think it was a good tension race where we get those in F1. Um, good fight for the lead. A couple of quality yeets, uh, especially Sebastian Vettel's pass on Leclerc
1: was a, a big yeet into turn one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even with DRS, Hungary is not an easy place to pass, and even with that assistance, uh, you gotta really try to get your car past one another in a track like this. It seems to find that perfect balance in this day and age. And yes, this was kind of processional at points, but it almost kind of reminded me of the 1998 Hungarian Grand Prix, where Schumacher and Ferrari had to use cunning to basically run a set amount of qualifying laps to catch and eventually take the win. It was like that from the Hamilton side of things. And I'll say this, for as much as we roast James Vowles for Valtteri, it's James he called a brilliant strategy to get his driver the W on that day, so it's only fitting that he should receive the giant porcelain plate on the podium ceremonies as Lewis Hamilton tosses pallbearers urn. Yeah, I said it. Uh, I said it in uh,
3: during the race. Lewis, it's James. We're about to do what's called a pro gamer move. <laughs>
1: The rest of your non-points finishers, again, uh, Sergio Perez, very lucky to be that close to the points in 11th for Racing Point, who have, this this track has never suited them. Nico Hulkenberg, despite spending all the race in safe mode, proving that Microsoft sponsorship activation in 12th. (laughs) <laughs> Kevin Magnussen with the new spec car that is still much slower than the old spec Haas in 13th Daniel Ricciardo 14th Kvyat 15th George Russell not last on track he was 16th Stroll in 17th Jobinazzi 18th Robert Kubica last of the finishers in 19th only one mechanical failure and it just so happened to be Romain Grosjean the only non-finisher after 49 laps completed we made it to the summer break! Ooh. Get the lawn chairs out. Get the lawn chairs out. Get your Alonzo memes from Brazil 2015 out. <laughs> Formula One is taking itself a nice, well-earned rest and relaxation, And uh, it's a good thing we got four awesome races in a row to close out this first half of the season. Because, yeah, there were some clunkers leading into this. France, Spain, China, just to name a few.
3: It's race 1,000, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But then you get Austria, Great Britain, Germany, and Hungary in succession. That is not a bad foursome of races. And then, of course, after the summer break, you've got Belgium, you've got Spa-Francorchamps coming up. So in theory, that should be another absolute banger of a race. So, you know, expect Mercedes to just romp to a 1-2 finish by a clear minute. But guys, (laughs) the
3: Ferrari straight line speed!
2: Yeah. Just have to wait and see and enjoy the summer break.
1: Here's a look at our championship standings after these rounds of the championship. Lewis Hamilton on a nice even 250 points. Going into the summer break, Valtteri Bottas is second on 188, but only seven points behind him on 181 is Mats Verstappen, third in the championship, and and within these last five races, he has been the highest scoring driver. He scored ninety three points over these last four races, scoring five more than Lewis Hamilton.
3: Yeah, Max has been brilliant. Um, as Red Bull, they fixed some early season problems with the car, and Verstappen has been terrific since then. Honda also should get a huge amount of credit. I agree. Oh, in, not- in race conditions, the Honda is debatably the second best power unit now.
1: Oh, without a doubt. We're, we're, we've we're we evolved past the uh, the Honda memes of old. They are here. They're real. And uh, Red Bull Racing and Matt Serstappen really put them on a level where they are, they are here to compete for victories. Again, McLaren will not regret busting up that partnership. But they'll regret all the events that put them in that spot to begin with. But hey, it's working out for them in the long run, so who knows. Vettel is on 156 points. He is 24 points ahead of Leclerc on 132. Pierre Gasly has mentioned he's on 63 points, only 5 points ahead of Carlos Sainz and 7th on 58. Kimmy Raikkonen moves back to eighth in the championship on 31 points. Daniel Kiviat thanks to that third place finish in Germany, he's ninth on 27 points. Lando Norris on 24 points and 10th. Daniel Ricardo with 22 points. Lance Stroll and Kevin Magnussen on 18 points apiece. Nico Hulkenberg on 17. Albon on 16. Perez on 13, ahead of Grosjean on 8. Jovanazzi and Kubitz on a point apiece. George Russell, the only driver yet to score in 2019. We look ahead to the teams championship. Mercedes have a 150 point lead over Ferrari. That is 438 to 288. And Red Bull Racing Honda are steadily closing in the gap. They are now on 244 and just 44 points back. Blessed on Ferrari. It's no exaggeration to say that Gasly's poor form is costing Red Bull second in the World Constructors right now. Right, and we'll have many a discussion to talk about this on our, on our in-season show next week as we look back at the half a season that was by far the best of the rest in Formula 1.5 McLaren-Renault on 82 points. They have now almost doubled the points total of the Nets' closest team. Toro Rosso on 43 points. They're four points ahead of Renault and Sitz on 39. Alfa Romeo on 32, just a point ahead of Racing Point on 31. Haas still stuck on 26th and 9th. Williams, their last, but you know what? They've still got a point, and they still brought both cars to finish every single race. And again, the next round of the Formula 1 World Championship does not take place until the 1st of September. It's the Belgian Grand Prix at Circuit de Spa-Francorchamps to kick off the second half of the season. We're 12 races in, and we've got just nine left to go. Can Mercedes put together the 800-point season?
2: Oh, God. Don't tempt them.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the way, and again, I know we're coming into a lot of places that are you Know Hamilton land, but uh, I'm encouraged with the developments out of Red Bull and I'm encouraged with how Verstappen has been getting on these last four races. I'm not going to tell you that Max Verstappen is going to mount the almightiest championship comeback and take the title right from Lewis Hamilton at the end, but I will say this you remember a few episodes ago where I said as a joking, uh, half hearted hot take that Verstappen would finish second in the Drivers' Championship, suddenly. Well, it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. And I will claim my winnings anytime. <laughs> right. So after this quick musical interlude, we're off to the Czech Republic to discuss the Moto Grand Prix, the MotoGP Czech Grand Prix in Brno. Now, I know you miss Dre. We do too. Oh wait, what's that? Off in the distance. Oh, here's Dre with some words on the Czech Grand Prix in Brno.
0: Hey guys, Dre here with you. Well, sort of with you. See, I wasn't on the original taping of this show on Monday, but RJ insisted that I be a part of this show somehow, so I'm coming to you via the magic of post-production. So, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about MotoGP and Bruneau, only because our fellow colleagues couldn't be asked to find out and watch it. Although, to be fair, it wasn't the most exciting weekend of racing. Mostly. So, I can forgive them on this one. Hence why I'm here to fill you in. So, I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, if you do like it, let me know. Send a tweet or, you know, send an email. Holler at your boy. Um, and uh, who knows it might happen more often if I'm not around that could always be fun but uh, just a quick heads up by the way I am suffering with a bit of a head cold I've got a bad case of hay fever so forgive me if I sound a little bit fuzzy in certain areas I'm not 100% at the moment but do bear with me on this thanks for understanding now we kind of have to go back to Saturday afternoon really for the big highlight of the weekend and That was qualifying, specifically Q2. See, Bruneau was changeable in conditions, shall we say. And uh, we had some rain hit Q1 and Q2 in qualifying. And uh, yeah, Q2 in particular was wild because the track was wet. But Bruneau is the sort of place where it dries out very, very quickly. Lots of hills. A lot of drainage, you know, quite a wide surface area. So, a lot of the track, like, like, like for example, storms can be very localized in that, you know, one part of the track might be wet, another might be dry. And towards the end of Q2, there was clearly a dry line forming, but it was still raining in certain areas of the track. In particular, the first corner and the last corner on the back side of the main straight and going up the two hills. Um, But yet, despite that, Marc Marquez was the only man to really gamble on slicks and profit off it. Now, the thing about MotoGP slicks is always that you can run slicks on a slightly wet surface as long as you can keep the heat in the tyre. And that's what Marquez is a genius at. He is arguably, if not nailed on as the greatest rider I've ever seen in changeable conditions. In low grip conditions, like what Bruno has got. He is demonically fast on it, and this was no exception. Pole position by 2.5 seconds. Like, I was watching it on BT Sport, and like, Hewan and Neil Hodgson on commentary were watching with their head between their hands, like, he's going to crash. And it just didn't happen. He is so. He's a total genius in these sorts of conditions. And it was, an utter, it was for me, it was, if not one of, if not the greatest qualifying lap I've ever seen to do that, to, to be two and a half seconds faster on slick tires on a wet track faster than anybody else. All the other guys who gambled on slicks aborted halfway through their laps. It was too risky. Like Marquez actually pissed off some of the Honda board members and some of the members of the team for basically taking too big a risk. (laughs) Uh, Which he openly admitted, yeah, I did take too big a risk after he'd uh, smashed the pole position by two and a half seconds and completely embarrassed the rest of the field. Um, Everybody else had bailed out. Marquez had gone two and a half seconds quicker. It was... You know, it says a lot when Julian Ryder, who's been out of the commentary box full-time for a couple of years now, but still came out and said that might be the most incredible qualifying lap I've ever seen from Mark Marquez. And I'm in full agreement. It was astonishing. He was on pole by 2.5 over Jack Miller, who was the only other guy who was able to get a slick lap in on slick tyres in the wet. He was two and a half seconds behind um, but he was on the front row, ahead of Johan Zarco, who put in a very, very good wet lap. Zarco is very, very good in the rain, um, despite his uh, patchy season. Um, he's still very good in wet conditions, and Zarco was on the front row for KTM, their first ever front row start in the top flight. So congratulations to them. Shame about the race. But uh, it, there was the race start was controversial in its own right, because... We were just about to get going until a sudden downpour hit the front straight and they had to postpone the start by half an hour. And there was a lot of controversy saying that MotoGP were the cool guys. They, they, they run in wet conditions and, you know, why are they stopping this? They like Shouldn't it be down to the riders to, change to, to, to assess the conditions and go from there? Well, Bruno is, again, kind of, as I mentioned before, it's a unique track. It's a lot like Silverstone in Formula 1. Where the track covers such a massive surface area, hills, forest, etc. It's not like a track that's very insular in on itself. It's very out, it's very exposing, very out there, covers a massive surface area. Storms can be very localized. Like the rest of the track was essentially dry, but the last corner at the front straight and turn one was wet. And that's just dangerous. Um, You don't want people on slick tyres going into turn one, basically tiptoeing round and trying to find the line on a wet track when they're all on slick tyres and the tyres are going to be cold as dirt. It would have been a very, very dangerous situation. And Dorna has a knack of getting this right a lot of the time when it comes to changeable conditions, especially ones that are very spontaneous. And... I think they got it right again. It looks worse than it was on TV, but you can't have 24 motorcycles going to a wet turn one on slick tyres at the same time. Far too dangerous. And you can't start them on wet tyres either because we would have got what we had a couple of years ago when you'd be bike swapping after two laps. And that's just carnage. And there's no reason to do that. At the end of the opening lap, you'd be seeing guys coming in for slick tyres. It would have been redundant to have a flag-to-flag wet race. Silly stuff. So, I think Carmelo Esperalta and Dorna got it right on this one. When the time we got going, it was a leading group of four. It was Mark Marquez ahead of Andrea Vizioso, Jack Miller, and Alex Rins, and that's pretty much the main story of the race. It was Dovi just basically trying to stay with Mark Marquez, and for the first half of the race they did, until with about eight laps to go. Marquez pulled the pin, and after that, no one could catch him. It wasn't a particularly exciting race. I'm just going to call a spade a spade here. It was dull. But that was not Marquez. It was Marquez's dominance that nobody had an answer for him in the dry, which is amazing because a dry race was maybe the one scenario where Marquez wasn't going to cakewalk it, and he still cakewalked it anyway. Um, even though Marquez had a big, big near miss at, at uh, down the bottom at turn six, where foot came off the peg and he nearly lost it, but once again Marquez saves it. And Dovi was watching that in front of him, and he was like, "Well, that's how I knew he was going to win." Dovi said after the race, he was at full power trying to stay with him. He he was on the limits. He he had nothing more to give. Um, in his bike and that was that was as far as it went for him basically there was nothing more to give that was it and when Marquez was able to start breaking later and turning tighter when his confidence came up in the second half of the race that was it it was over and Dovi talked about it to MCN this week where he said yeah Marquez can take more risks on the front tire and gamble more than anyone else in the field can and that's why he's winning all these races that's his secret. He's got an extra 2 temps a lap in the amount of risk he can take with the front tyre, and that's what showed in the race. Marquez comfortably winning by 2.4 seconds in the end over Andrea Dovizioso, which, hey, for the sake of the championship, thank God Dovi was in second, at least. Um, with Jack Miller beating Alex Rins on the final lap for the last spot on the podium. Um, so congratulations to... Uh, to uh, Jack Miller for getting on the podium again—a very, very hard-earned result in the dry. A dry podium for Jack Miller is very impressive, in in indeed. Um, so congratulations to him on that one. Um, Rings in fourth. Cal Crutchlow, best of the rest, in fifth. They were—he cl- was actually closing in on that leading group towards the end, but uh, Cal left it too late. A very necessary fifth for him after a lot of scathing comments to the press about his teammate Takanakagami, who apparently doesn't deserve any any Honda seats, and even Stefan Bradl had to call out Crutchlow for basically saying, your comments aren't helping the development of the bike. Bradl, the mature head, of course. Um, Valentino Rossi, a very quiet but productive sixth place for him on the Yamaha, ahead of uh, Fabio Quattararo in seventh. Danilo Petrucci in eighth, who apparently was not in a good place, um, mentally speaking, Um, and... Big reason why I was um, the sad news going into the weekend was that Ducati's press officer and PR man, Lucas Semperini, uh, sadly died in his sleep on Thursday night going into the weekend. Um, a And everyone um, in Ducati has talked about what an important member of the team he was. And, and like Chaz Davies had a very glowing tribute on his Instagram page, and I highly recommend you, you, you go out your way to find Laying tribute to what was a very, very good friend and a guy that apparently spoke to him about everything but racing with. Um, A very valued and established member of the Ducati team. And on a personal note, uh, our very first Bike Live interview on this network with Chaz Davis himself was down to Lucas Semprini, who did all the hard work for us to send in the questions and then send us back the audio files. Um, Luca is a great man a great help and he's had a small part in the history of our show as well so on behalf of everybody here at Motorsport 101 uh, rest in power to Luca and uh, my thoughts go out to his friends his family his loved ones and all the Ducati as well that's a very very sad blow I, I'm, as I'm talking his funeral is going on as we speak which is very very sad um, so, uh, rest in peace to Luca and rest easy. Um, Dinero in eighth. Takanekagami in ninth. Maverick Vinales down in tenth. Um, very disappointing again from Maverick on this one. It is, uh, Kevin made a very good point. I know Ma- people like to dunk on Maverick for his poor starts and then seemingly finding his pace in the second half of the race. Kevin, a good mate of mine on Twitter, at dkevinwalsh, uh, made a very good point that. Yamaha is very, very quick when they can run in open air, when they can sweep, take wide lines, carry that high corner in speed through the apex of a bend. But their lack of power means being able to push past other motorcycles without a toe is very hard for them. That's why it takes them a long time to overtake riders in open air. It's I think that's why when Crutchlow overtook Valentino Rossi, Rossi was not was unable to really follow him and be able to put a move back on him because Yamaha can't overtake as, as well as other bikes can because Honda's got a lot more grunts with top speed and acceleration and Ducati has always been really fast in a straight line. So that's probably a big reason as to why Yamaha is struggling. When you combine that with Maverick's main weakness being he's a poor starter, it's a very toxic combination. But, uh, yeah, very sad day of Maverick in 10th. Paul Espargaro in 11th for KTM. <laughs> uh, Francisco Bagnaia in 12th for uh, Pramac, ahead of Miguel Oliveira. The dentist in 13th, ahead of uh, um, Johan Zarco on the road. So, good for him. Great result for uh, Miguel Oliveira, who continues to impress under the radar. Um, Zarco just won a free bike dogfight over the line for the last two points. Um, Zarko ahead of Stefan Bradle in 15th and Tito Rabat in 16th. Ian O'Ni uh, beats his teammate over the line by a 10th in 17th place. Um, and then Carol Abraham and Sylvain Gintoli um, rounds off the 20 finishers of the race. Um, three non-finishers, Frankie Morbidelli and Johan Mir um, sadly got caught up in an opening lap wreck with Johan Zarko. Zarko was able to continue, but uh, Morbidelli and Mir crashed out and the feast siren crashed out on lap five sadly championship standings where that's concerned mark marquez extends his lead to a whopping 63 points over andrea Davizioso. Um remember we are down to we, we still have nine rounds to go there's still a bit of time left yet for dovi to reel him in but he's running out of rounds rapidly here um, Danello Petrucci still in further on 129 points, ahead of Alex Rins on 114. Maverick on 91 is up to fifth place now, ahead of Valentino Rossi on 90 points. Jack Miller on 86. Cal Crocciolo on 78, ahead of Fabio Cotteraro Quattro- Fabio in 9th on 76. Uh, Paul Spagaro on 61 points in 10th. Takanakagami in 11th on 57, and then Frankie Walbardelli in 12th on 52. Like I said, not the most exciting MotoGP race in the world, but uh, if you can, go out of your way to find the qualifying lap from Marquez in Q2. The whole Q2 session is well worth a watch in general, but uh, Marquez's qualifying lap is the stuff of God's. It really, really is. I'll go early away to see it. Sadly, the Moto2 race wasn't any more captivating, but it is. I think for the fourth time this year, where both Marquez brothers take a victory, and uh, yeah, the Super Marquez brothers are certainly becoming a thing because Alex um, has put out the can. Um, qualified on pole position by two seconds in again changeable conditions. And then, in the race, was very comfortable, never really looked like he was under any sort of threat, led from the front, dominated all the way through, won by three seconds. But great to see two other rookies on the podium with him. Fabio Di Antonio with his best ever finish in Moto2, in second. And Enea Bastianini, who very quietly has been in the top eight for a good chunk of this season already, took another big step forward with his first Moto2 podium, in third as well, narrowly beating Jorge Navarro over the line for fourth, Luca Marini in fifth, Marcel Schrotter sixth, Niccolò Buliga seventh, um, Augusto Fernandez in eighth, Tetsuya Nagashima in ninth, and Ike Laquona in tenth. Lorenzo Baldassari continuing his records or checkers run in eleventh place ahead of Bezecchi, Martin Locatelli, and Somkiat Chantra rounding off the points for the Ilimitsu team. In fifteenth place, sadly, Brad Binder, Sam Lowes, and Matteo Pasini all crashing out at various points of the race, as did big title contender Thomas Luti as well in the early running. So uh, it has it's had a dramatic effect on the championship because now with Thomas Luty's no score, Alex Marquez has now taken control of the championship. His fifth win in the last six rounds has now put him thirty three points ahead of Thomas Luty. It's never going to happen for Luty, is it? Always the bridesmaid, never the bride in Moto Two. He's thirty-three behind in second on one hundred and twenty-eight points. Now, Fernandez and Navarro are joint third on one hundred and ten. The Fernandez ahead on countback due to his win at Assen. Marcel Schrotter is fifth on one hundred and seven. Bal on one hundred and two. Uh, Luca Marini on one hundred and one. Brad Binder on eighty-four. Bastinini on seventy-four. And DJ Antonio up to tenth um, after his podium finish. Um, in 10th place now on 57 points. Also, it looks like I'm hearing a lot of talk that Lorenzo Baldazzari has left the VR46 Academy. Interesting stuff. And also, he'll be staying with the Pons team for next season. A lot of potential movers and shakers in Moto2. A big rumour that Marquez will go to, Alex Marquez will leave Mark VDS to go to Patronus next year in the hopes of a promise that he'll be given a MotoGP seat in 2021 in that team. So keep half an eye on that. There's also a big talk that Sam Lowe's might be going to Mark VDS to replace him. So keep half an eye on that in the coming days. It looks like Moto2 is going to be where all the silly season action takes place throughout the rest of the year. So keep half an eye on that going forward as well. The main action of the day came in Moto3. Um, again, Moto3 stealing the show once again. And it was Aaron Canett that, that led a nine-bike leading group over the line. The top nine separated by just the second. But it was Canett beating his main title rival, Lorenzo Dalla Porta by just a tenth of a second over the line, ahead of Tony Arbelino in third, Jan in fourth, Nicola mantinetti fifth, Ayagura in sixth, Andrea Migno in 7th, Romano Fanati 8th, Jumpman Cornfile in 9th, Darren Binder in 10th, Ayumi Sasaki in 11th, Rog Fernandez 12th, Makar in 13th, Chad Onsu in 14th, and Dennis Foggia taking the last point in 15th place. In the race that only 19 riders saw the flag, a lot of accidents there, including... Um, Alberto Arenas and Sergio Garcia, like a long, um, both Galicias were out. Alberto Arenas didn't make it. Philippe Salak, Tetsu Suzuki, Tombu Famos, John McPhee crashed out early on as well. A chaotic Moto free race, to say the least. But yeah, it was can it? Who uh, took the win, and with that, the championship lead. He's got a three-point lead on the Renzo della It's quickly becoming a three-horse, uh, say, a two-horse race for the Moto3 championship. They're now fifty points clear of Niccolo Antonelli in third on ninety-eight points. Tony Arbellino fourth on ninety-three. Gian Messia in with seventy-eight points. He's ahead of Marcos Ramirez. On countback, he has more second place finishes than Ramirez. McPhee on 68. Again, countback rule, his win puts him over Celestino Vietti. Jumpman Cornfall in 9th on 59. And Ayagura in 10th on 56 points. MotoGP is back this weekend. It is a back-to-back round. We are going to the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg for the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. And we've already got a couple of big stories going into the weekend. There was a big MotoGP test um, the day after Bruno um, on Monday. And sadly, during that, Joan Mir had a massive 180-mile-an-hour crash into turn one that put him in the hospital for checks. Thankfully, he's fine but uh, he will miss the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend as a precaution. Um, I think wise heads have prevailed on that one. It was a, Apparently, it was a whopper of a crash. Had to be helicoptered to hospital. But thankfully, he's okay. But yeah, he will miss the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. No replacement lineup up for Suzuki. It will just be Alex Rings on his own um, for Suzuki this weekend at the Red Bull Ring. So uh, yeah. Hopefully, he'll be okay and he'll be on the mend. I think it's Silverstone the round after that, but uh, don't quote me on that. But uh, yeah, the uh, Austrian Grand Prix will be down one Suzuki. All the best to uh, Joanne Mir, and I hope he makes a speedy one. Um, Yeah, lots, lot to look forward to in Austria this weekend. It's, It's a round that has produced a lot of great races. Um, since we've been here in 2016. It is a Ducati track, certainly. They've won here all three times we've been here. Um, just since came, and, and, and Funnily enough as well, three different Ducati winners the three years we've been here. Andrea Iannone, first time round in 2016. Um, Andrea Di narrowly beating Marquez over the line in 2017. And Marquez, again, narrowly beaten by Jorge Lorenzo last year in one, one, one of the races of the year, a great race of the year candidate um, as well. So it's a Ducati track, but it's also one that I think Marquez is going to be very keen to win, given it's the one round on the calendar that he has not won around yet. And given how well he dominated Bruno, a track that he struggled in the dry with on numerous occasions, uh, this was one that I think he could very well take this weekend as well. Certainly keep an eye out for it. Just before we go, I promised I would answer one listener question on this segment before I get out of town. And that honour goes to me at Tamia on Twitter, who asked me, Approaching their mid-30s, there is speculation that both Lorenzo and Crutchlow are thinking about retirement. If they both hang up their boots, who do Honda sign? A great question. Um... See, I don't think Lorenzo's going to hang it up, um, personally. I think Lorenzo is a very determined guy. I, th- I can see why people would think it. He has been dinged up. He has taken so. Like, that's the thing. Lorenzo doesn't do half measures. When he crashes and gets hurt, it's often a whopper. And he's... We, we found out in the news last week he's not going to be back until, you know, he's missing the first two rounds of the break as well. He was scheduled to come back for last weekend at Bruneau. Um, they pushed his delay back to Silverstone, um, due to the fractured vertebrae suffered at Assen, um, and Crutchlow, I think, is getting a little bit sick and tired of never getting the factory Honda seat that eludes him. <coughs> Pardon me, sorry. Um, if it comes down to it, and, you know, worst case scenario for Honda, that both their, you know, their 30s level riders hanging up, I think that I think that Alex Marquez could be the guy. Like, I didn't believe in this hype train at first, but he's really put together a brilliant season in Moto2 so far. He's really putting this shit together. We forget how good Alex Marquez is. Like, don't get me wrong. I was the guy who was making a video starting to doubt whether he'd ever be. He'd ever live up to the potential that he's shown before. But we forget he's a Moto3 world champion. We forget he beat. You know, Alex Rins and Jack Miller to that championship in Moto Three to, to begin with. He's, the talent's always been there, but he's nailed this triumph transition so well. He's now won five out of the last six races he's taken part in, and looks like he it looks like he's now odds-on favourite to win the Moto Two title. So, you know, if he has a very good year next year in Moto Two or Moto GP, depending on where he ends up, most likely the former. Why not? And if you're Repsol Honda, it's a marketer's wet dream you know, to have the Marquez brothers together in the same team. That would be an incredible, um, imagine the merchandise sales. Think of the flat caps I'd have to buy. Lord, if not, I liked Kevin's suggestion as well of Pol Spagaro. If you could coax him out of leaving KTM, his riding star is very physical, very bullish. He's probably one of the few guys who could make that Honda work. So uh, if I had to say Alex Marquez or Paul Spagaro, I think those are the guys I'll be thinking of more than anything else. So like I said, tune in for Renault this weekend. Sorry, Renault, sorry. Tune in for the Red Bull Ring in Austria this weekend. I'll be back to talk about it on next week's show. Don't forget Moto E this weekend as well. First race was very fun at the Saxon Ring. Second race of that championship as well will take place at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg. Definitely check it out as well. Um, but yeah, I've been Andre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the show, and I see you next week. Sayonara.
1: Thank you, Dre. So, all things considered, what a what a lap from Marquez.
2: Why is the decimal in the wrong place? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's not. I watched the footage. It happened.
3: One of the single greatest laps in the history of motorsport, two or four wheels, go out of your way to watch
1: it. And what, when, what circumstances to do it to equal Mick Doohan's all-time record for top-class pole positions? He's still just twenty-six. He just Man. won't stop. Unbelievable! Only fitting that he would go on to win the race. Again, maybe not an all-time classic in the in the race itself, but, you know, just Mark Marquez continuing his form of excellence. And Alex Marquez as well, continuing uh, his form of excellence in Moto2 with a big win. But, of course, for me, the highlight, Steven Odendahl's save. Oh, my God. <laughs> I My dad sent me that, not knowing that
3: I had seen it, because he rides motorcycles. And he said, that guy, that guy has that
1: balls of steel to keep that going. What a save. That was incredible. Again, if you've not seen it, go check out South African writer Stephen Odendall, uh doing some absolute mechanical bull rodeo moves to keep himself from falling on the pavement. And we had uh, Aaron Cannett winning in Moto3 as well. Again, a great title fight that's brewing between himself and Lorenzo Della Porta in the Moto3 season. Um, good racing at Bruneau. That, uh, again, go out of your way to watch it, especially if you have a video pass. And, hey, um, we've got a uh, racing coming up next week with, uh, with the Red Bull ring on August 11th yes. uh, this coming weekend.
3: And in um, in less happy news... Joan Mir has suffered a very high-speed crash at the Brno test. Um, nice. He's currently diagnosed with a pulmonary contusion. Oh, no. However, um, it looks like there's no further damage, at least after a CAT scan and
1: checks at the hospital. Yeah, just came today. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see him racing until... Silverstone at the very least, but uh, speedy recovery, Yoan. That was that was tough to that was tough to learn. Well, we hope you see you back on a bike soon. Reading the most recent update from the Monolith, uh,
2: apparently he'll be under observation for at most a further forty-eight hours before heading to Austria to try to take part in this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix. But fucking
1: madman, motorcycle These people aren't are human. Motorcycle riders are
2: tough people quote from mir himself the crash was a scary one but finally it looks like everything is okay is more or less okay i have some pain and struggled to breathe initially but then the situation got better and better and i received excellent assistance and support from the medics at the track
1: that is very encouraging news to hear again motorcycle riders are some of the greatest gladiators um in all of racing um, it's, uh,
3: it's it's also worth noting that Marquez hit another milestone. 50 Premier Class wins. 50,
1: Oof. equaling Mike Halewood.
3: Mike fucking Halewood! One of the goats!
1: Yeah, one of our Discord supporters, uh, one of our Patreon backers, Resi says he's going to beat Agostini's record in 10 years. If he still has I'll the motivation that. to keep racing at this level, he'll shatter that record. I'll back that all day. Yep. My goodness. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how Alex Marquez fits into the 2020 silly season because he is getting offers from Moto2 teams, but you got a feeling like if he keeps this up, MotoGP is going to be in his immediate future, even if it's not with the top team right away. Oh, God, yeah. not another one. <laughs> We'll cut back to uh to Hungary because uh we of course had the full support ticket of Formula 2 and Formula Three. And uh Nick DeVries on a wet track took pole position on Friday for the feature race, but in the feature race itself it was Nicholas Latifi who got the great jump and took the victory in the future race to kick start his championship challenge, which had been floundering for a little bit. And again, a victory that became all the more poignant with the passing of Dam's founder, Jean-Paul Drio, the following day, uh, with Sergio Sate Camera getting on the podium in third. Nick DeVries would go on to finish second, so he still holds on to his points lead. But, uh, who's that finishing in eighth, and therefore getting the reverse grid pole for Sunday's race? Son of Michael, Mick Schumacher. Mick Schumacher. And... While it was a reverse grid pole sprint race, Mick Schumacher commanded it just like his father would have in his prime. The curse is finally over. Mick Schumacher is finally on the board with his first Formula 2 victory. A fantastic breakthrough, one that he can be proud of as the second half of the season kicks off at spa Shop, a track that is very special to the Schumacher family, of course, as it was after all the place where Michael made his F1 debut. It was, it was wonderful to see, and as you said, Mick controlled that race to perfection. It was uh, it was very much needed, and again, I know that win's going to dominate the headlines, uh, and for good reason, because we've been waiting for a while for Mick Schumacher to have this breakthrough. It was a slow starter in Formula 3, of course, but now that he's finally got that win, there are eight races left. Do you foresee a second-half rally in this final portion of the season for Mick Schumacher? I don't know if he's gonna go for the title, but if, if what happens yeah I would this say the time, title is the title's out of reach at this point. it's all experienced guys at the top if what of happened the last year
3: in the lower class happens again, oh baby
1: I would not be surprised if he if he sustains this momentum he could finish in the top six. I would rule him out for the championship but he has to be the odds on favorite for twenty twenty
2: yeah twenty twenty keeps it up you know. He has a strong chance of winning next year. Uh, don't know who his teammate will be next year, but, you know, maybe even if it's even if it's still Sean Galea, he'll get support from his teammate to really make a launch at the championship. And
1: Sean Galea was back. He did come back after withdrawing from Silverstone after the penalty controversy. Um, he did not score points, but it's good to see him back out on track. Um, Just looking at the championship standings before we go into the summer break, again, we have four race meetings left, so that is eight races in total. Nick DeVries still leads the championship, but now it's down to just 30 points over Nicholas Latifi in second. That's 196 to 166. Sergio Sete camera with a fifth and a third, improves to third on 141 points. He's now six points ahead of Luca Giotto in fourth place, who had a feature race penalty, which was then overturned, so he keeps the fourth place. And moves up to 4th in the standings. He's now a point ahead of Jack Aitken in 5th on 134. Guan Yu Zhao is the top rookie on 107. Nobuhara Matsushita with a 7th and a 2nd in the feature race. Excuse me, the sprint. 7th uh, and the 2nd in the sprint. Matsushita's now on 85 points. Antoine Hubert with a dud of a weekend. Two non-scoring finishes. Drops him down to 8th on 77. Louis Delatraz with another double non-scoring effort. He's ninth on 60 points and only one point ahead of Jordan King in 10th of 59 points. That win for Mick Schumacher and the eighth place in the feature moves him up to 11th on 45 points. The next round, of course, will be at Spa-Francorchamps, as it will be for the Formula 3 championship! (laughs) And uh, some long-awaited breakthroughs on the top step. First in race two, the feature race, excuse me, race one, the feature race, Christian Lundgaard finally getting ART on the board, the team that had so thoroughly dominated Formula 3's predecessor the GP3 series. It took them until Hungary, but they finally got a hat trick, with Lundgaard winning pole position, setting fastest lap, and winning the race for ART, his first win of the season, Then Marcus Armstrong turning it around in the sprint race, race two, from eighth to reverse grid pole to victory. His first win with Prima after controversies between him and his teammate, Robert Schwartzman. You could say that. Yes. (laughs) But Marcus Armstrong on the board. Uh, Schwartzman retired from the second race, but he is still... At a 12 point advantage over Yuri Vips in second on 112, Jayon Daravala in third on 104, Marcus Armstrong on 98, Christian Lundgaard on 73, and Jake Hughes on 56, Matt Sputrel on 55, Leonardo Pulcini on 53, Pedro Piquet on 43, and Liam Lawson rounds out the top 10 on 22 points. They, of course, will be back at spa Shop. They have six races remaining this season. And I've got to say, although we haven't talked much about Formula 3 in depth, this is going to become a really, really interesting title fight between Schwarzman and Phipps, Starvala. Armstrong's not too far out of it. And hey, if Lundgaard can continue this form, he's not out of this entirely.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's going to be something that it's going to... It's going to be a title fight that happens way quicker than it, it's going to appear on paper because their next rounds are the final European rounds. Then they're not racing again until Sochi. And that's the season finale because they're not, they can't do Abu Dhabi as their season finale because they have to go to Macau.
1: Right. And that season finale is on September 28th and 29th. So that Formula 3 season is going to be over before you know it. Faster than you can say brand finale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good stuff all around um folks we got some news to get into and we'll break out all the headlines right after this word from our sponsors
3: No, they're not Rich Energy.
2: They're Lightning Volt now. Thank you, Lightning Volt Limited,
1: for sponsoring this episode of Motorsport 101. Thank you to to Purple Mattresses for sponsoring this episode (laughs) of Motorsport 101. Uh, This was a very light weekend for motor racing, but I will say this. Bubba Wallace just became the people's champion in NASCAR at Watkins Glen. He's the hero we need and deserve. So, in the latest round of the American Supercars Championship, sponsored by Marcus by Monster Energy, uh, Chase Elliott won his second race at Watkins Glen, Brian France did not get pulled over for driving under the influence in the Hamptons. <laughs> Those were two of the three very important developments out of this race. The third, Bubba Wallace and Kyle Busch well, no, threw hands not on Not just track. Bubba Wallace.
3: Kyle Busch pissed off everybody, and everyone has finally had enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he attempted to pass William Byron into turn one, wasn't far enough along the inside, and spun himself off the side of Byron's car. Well... He decided, I didn't like that very much, and punted Byron off into the grass. Byron then drove into the back of Bush, damaging both their cars. And then the real spicy stuff began. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) Bubba Wallace (laughs) was... Bubba Wallace had already had an incident in the race. I believe it was with Kyle.
1: Yes. um, He spun in the wall uh, because... Bush just, quote, just run me the fuck over. I don't care if I'm two years in, rookie stripes or what. So Wallace returned the favor on lap 62 of 90, turning Bush just before the entry to turn one to loud cheers from the grandstands after they made contact several times off turn second and down the front stretch. If y'all like Fight Club, go out of your way to watch this. It was hilarious. End quote. I'm going to get my respect on the track, and I don't care who it is. That's for when guys fail to think about the young guys, I guess, or with me. I won't put up with no shit, so I flat out wrecked his ass back. That's just what happens when you get run over. You just pay him back. So I won't be like, oh, it's Kyle Bush, He didn't mean to. Fuck him. Close quote. quote of the year. <laughs> can, somebody, can somebody please design a t-shirt with that quote on it so I can bring it to a track somewhere? And let, have, let me have wall sign it. Again, please. I don't... A, again, this is coming from me. I don't actually mind Kyle Bush that much compared to most. But that was hilarious. It's been a long time oh. coming. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, NASCAR and road races. Always good entertainment. Just please put more road courses on the calendar. They're
3: so good. And as mentioned, Chase Elliott... He and Martin Truex, who finished second, are really becoming the road course experts of our time in NASCAR. Anytime we go to a road course, bet on one of them. Absolutely. And I believe Chase led 80 of 90 laps. It was a very dominant performance. It was domination.
1: Yeah, that was was a fantastic victory. It's a shame I slept through most of it. Again, (laughs) you ever just feel like you spend all day asleep, but in two to three hour intervals separated by one to two hours of actually, you know, being awake? Oh, that's a big mood. Speaking of big big moods, let's kick it on down to Cheese Country, Land of Aaron Rodgers, for the IMSA Sports Car Road Racing Showcase in Road America. They just
3: keep rolling. Mazda takes their third win in succession.
1: Oh my god. Would you have ever foreseen this at the start of the year? Maybe maybe no. after qualifying at Daytona, but not after Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was another victory for Harry Tinknell and Jonathan Bommarito, Mazda's third win of the season, and another good points day for the championship-leading number six Acura team Penske car of Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya. Two races left in the championship. Holy shit, there's just two races left?
3: Yes, because th- there's really three races left, but at VIR, we will not have the prototypes.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's two races left for the prototypes. One at Laguna Seca and one Petit Le Mans, which all three of us will be there. The M101 Invasion. <laughs> yes. Um, that would be your cue to like, hey, if you're listening, you want to hang out with us, have a beer, um, go beer, uh, go pick on somebody, I guess. I don't know. But yes, um, these championship standings are looking very spicy. There are only two prototype rounds left. And you're basically thinking like Cameron and Montoya basically have to drop out of one of these remaining races for anyone else to have a hope in heck. Although I will say this if it does rain in Road Amer- Atlanta, do not count out Felipe Nazar and Pibo Durrani. Because yeah. we know that the Acura struggles in wet conditions.
3: Yeah, um, with the current BOP, which, it's weird to say, Cadillac needs to get some BOP back in their favor, because they are just not competitive right now in DPI. Imagine it's, saying that in 2017.
1: <laughs> it's 239 to 232 from Acura to uh, the Wheelan Express, the Wheelan Engineering car of Nazar and Durrani. Jonathan Bomarito, Ricky Taylor, and Elio Castroneves is all tied on 222 apiece. Keep in mind, though, that's Bomarito with a different team than Taylor and Neves, And how many points are available in these next two rounds? I believe it's 35 for a win,
3: and then it goes down to 32 for second place, and then it drops down by intervals of two from that point forward.
1: Yeah, this one's not over by any stretch
3: of the imagination. Yeah, and of course, this is endurance racing, and anything can happen, and... Despite the form book saying that it really should be an Acura v to fight for the remaining wins, anything really could happen. And as you said, if it rains, the Cadillac is the best car in the rain, and it's not even close.
1: I wouldn't even count out Jordan Taylor and Ranger van der Zande. Yes, they're 6 and 25 points out, but you never know. Tristan Nunez and Arlo Jarvis are on 208 points to 18 points. They're only 21 points out of this. Yeah, if we get some chaotic race, it could happen again the next IMSA race will be at Virginia International Raceway but that will be a GT only showcase um I guess this is the part where we need to let you have the floor cam yes because as it stands right now I don't fucking know
3: how the 912 shit housed a podium but they shit housed the podium at a place where Porsche had no right to be on the podium bam Thor baby Bamthor and Porsche rolling all kinds of natural
1: 20s. <laughs> yeah, it was Ryan Briscoe and Richard Westbrook that won for Ford, but Bamthor may have just clinched the war. Again, there are three races left. They have a 14-point lead over only their teammates, Nick Tandy and Patrick Pele, with VIR, Laguna Seca, and Road Atlanta left.
3: Yeah, and effectively, because of the point stack, Porsche would have to have an utterly disastrous end to the season to give up the
1: manufacturer's title. And hey, Matt Campbell took a win in GT Daytona. My boy Matty Campbell, yes! Driving the lumberjack car. Oh, yes. Um, with him and Zach Robichon at Fat Motorsport. God,
3: that's such a cool car. Yep. Because when you think Porsche, you think
1: lumberjacks. Now King. Yes. We talked about the strategic genius in Formula One, but what if I told you that even similar shenanigans synap- happened all the way across the Eurasian continent at Fuji Speedway for the Super GT Fuji 500 Miles?
2: Ooh, my first, my first thought is I need to hear it because it's probably going to be wild.
1: Okay, so let us take you back to the middle stages of the Fuji 500 miles. 177 laps. Big championship race with 25 points on the line for winning. We get to about the middle stage of the race, and the two Michelin powered Nissans, the number 23 of Sugio Matsuda and Ronnie Kittarelli, and the number 3 of Kohei Hirate and Frederick Makowiecki are pretty much the two cars that are the class of the field. After that, you have the number 6 Waco's LC500, the Lexus of Kazuya Oshima, and new WEC LMP2 star Kenta Yamashita, who's had a pretty good summer, all things considered. Um, they are heavy on success ballast, but by virtue of a number of incidents, they have kind of shithoused their way to a podium. On lap 104, about lap 104, Yan Martin Burroughs' Nissan GTR blows up on the front stretch. That's very sad because Yann Martinborough deserves a fucking break. Once in a while, please, I'm begging you, let Yan Martinborough have a good thing. Brings the car to the stop on the front stretch where there are only marshal posts, fire posts at either end of the 1.5 kilometer straightaway. Um, now, it is at this point that Let's' team Lamas, team principal, Juichi Wakasaka, knows that there is a car stranded on the middle of the front stretch not too far off from where where there is cars running out on track there's likely to be a safety car and in super gt pit lane is closed unconditionally from the moment the safety car comes out to the moment it comes in this is during the middle of a pit cycle so wakasaka pulls his driver into the pits for their third stop of the race they get in just before the safety car is deployed and the Marshall's Post displays the safety car board, they get in, they do their pit work, and all of a sudden, they're in prime position to where, unless they have a catastrophic failure of their own, they win the race, which they eventually went on to do. They cruise to victory, back-to-back victories, 25 points, and a 16-point lead in the championship with three races to go, King. However... If you watch back on the highlights, or if you watch it on Motorsport TV, uh, which, you know, take that what you will, um, you can see that on the television camera, Fuji Speedway's new LED board on the front stretch shows safety car lights and banners up just as the Waco LC500 is diving into the pit lane. Oh, no. But... Because it's they're responding to the boards being posted by the marshals, and because those safety car boards were not out at the time, that was a legal pit entry. But this one, I don't know, man. This it's been a while (laughs) since we've had a good rules controversy in Super GT. (laughs) Because I think the last comes
3: back again to: Do you listen to the flags or the electronics?
1: Yeah. So. Race director and Spa 24 Hours winner Naoki Atori explained that the digital display on the bridge is just for information. What counts are the flags and the safety car board that the marshals show. In the case of the Waco's LC500, the race direction analyzed the footage and came to the conclusion that the safety car board was shown by the marshal after the car had already passed the safety car line. So it was still allowed to enter the pits. That is the official explanation. In addition, there's usually a slight delay between the information to shown on the digital display and the Marshall Post due to the wireless communication and more. In this case, it was shown about two seconds earlier on the display. Okay,
2: yeah, that makes sense. That makes
1: sense. Yeah. We'll, um, the good thing is that Super GT will have a full race upload of the uh, the full onboard from that car. And I've got to say, that's going to be the <laughs> most anticipated full race onboard in Super GT history, because that'll effectively be your smoking gun to shut the case once and for all. Even still, there were some drivers, particularly on the Nissan side of things, that were not happy with how the rule was enforced. Because there's a blinking, flashing safety car light coming on, just as one of their rivals is coming in to take a pit stop that ultimately wins them the race.
2: Yeah, like, just from the outside look again, all thoughts should be, yeah, you're clearly... Breaking the rules right now.
1: <laughs> Think back to the 2016 Suzuka 1000 Kilometer, a great battle between Yuji Tachikawa and Nick Cassidy in the wet. Tachikawa passes Cassidy for P1, um, in a yellow flag zone. But race control said that the yellow first. It was just the white flag came out just a bit too late and wasn't visible for Tachikawa anymore, which is why they didn't penalize the pass that eventually gave him and Hiroki Ishiura the victory. A.K.A. Brazil 2012 Super GT Redux Edition. Oh. Now, that was a little bit lucky. What happened in GT300 was genius. So, in the midst of all my pre-race preparation, I completely ignored the number 87 Lamborghini Huracan of Team J-Lock. After all, that's Team J-Lock's B-Car, and they've only won three races in 25 years. But they were very proud of the fuel economy of their Lamborghini. Again, things that would never associate with Lamborghini road-going cars. Fuel economy. And because you have to make four mandatory pit stops, teams in GT300 will usually pit their car right after lap one, get one of their pit stops out of the way, and run a virtual three-stopper that way. What they did was they eventually did that at the end of their first step. They pinned it at the end of lap 39, change drivers, then pit it again on lap 40, change drivers again that takes care of two of their compulsory pit stops and thanks to two safety car interventions they're back in front with a chance to win the race and nobody realizes that they played themselves into it until about the second half of the race when you realize oh my god this is genius and it was andre kuto subasa takahashi and kyoto fujinami taking the win in that regard also king we learn more about the dream race
2: Oh, yes, we did. They, well, not only learned more about it, just learned of it, period.
1: It's been a long time coming, but the Fuji Dream Race, Super GT vs. DTM, finally official, November 23rd through 24th, two 55-minute races, all teams with hand cooks, no push to pass, no DRS, two races in one. The best of the DTM versus the best of GT500. And you also get a GT300 sprint race and a car auction to boot.
2: Oh, big, big weekend. It's not clear. I know on the DTM side, it's not clear who exactly will participate. It's assumed that uh, there'll be somewhere between six and ten entries each uh, with at least two cars from each manufacturer
1: in DTM. That would be Audi, BMW, and I can't believe it's not Mercedes Benz with an Aston Martin body kit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to be fair, we don't know who's representing from the Super GT side of things, let's Nissan and Honda. Now, they will send one car apiece to the DTM finale at the Hockenheim. Yes. But we don't yes, even know who that's going to be. <laughs> oh, interesting times
2: ahead. Win the Dream Race, aka the King vs. RJ Trophy.
1: Oh my and god! I'm just we gotta in the have mental moderating. Oh my god! We gotta have some kind of bet for this, don't we?
2: Yeah, it's it's basically
3: our All Star game. It's our All Star game. Oh my goodness! Whichever side loses has to eat twelve bananas.
1: Who <laughs> <laughs> hadn't escaped the bet yet? <laughs> no. Oh, no. no. Okay. We've got a lot covered. King, have we missed anything important? Ooh, I don't think we have.
2: Just what is coming up this weekend? The
1: week ahead! MotoGP in Austria! Ducatiland!
3: <laughs> Ducatiland! Ducati Land. Strangely in Austria. Ducatiland, except Mark Marquez will probably win because it's Mark fucking
1: Marquez. But it's Ducatiland, oh. though. You know, strangely <laughs> enough, not Red Bull KTM land, never. <laughs> hey, it,
2: apparently to Paul Esfagra, if tire wear didn't exist, KTM would be right there at the <laughs> You know, front. if
3: tire wear didn't exist, Mercedes would have won the 2013 F1 title, too.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Also, we mentioned it, the brand finale. DTM is back, yes. of course, but also the W Series championship finale. Vietzka Visser, Jamie Chadwick Two women enter One will hopefully get a meaningful shot At a Formula One drive in the near future Otherwise Why would you have started this championship
2: (laughs) Why would the winner just get half a million dollars
1: Ah Beats me Beats me (laughs) Let's see what else we got this coming weekend It's a very thin weekend of motorsport Outside of that I must say yeah, there's
2: nothing else.
1: So we can use that, of course, to uh, to talk about the midway point of the Formula One season.
3: Guys, it's NASCAR at Michigan. Oh.
1: Okay, call terrible.
2: me when they go to another road course. All Just right, go let's to get, we, we gotta road
1: get the hell out of here. Oh, man, places you can find us one more time. We are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101 Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. we on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you wish to follow us personally, you can. At Harrison 101 HD. At Ryan Eric King. That's with two K's. At RJ O'Connell. That's with two N's and two L's. And at Cam Buckley 9C 9, Buckley 917 with no vowels. For $5 a month on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, you can get early access to all of our shows. And for $10 a month, you can get into the Supporters Club of our Discord channel and listen to each show as it is being recorded. Again, a massive thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Isla Burt, my boyfriend's here. Jason is there. Fakesh is here. Obviously, just not feeling so good after weird baseball results um same with toki and rezi is here as well um we will be back next week to review the formula one season that has been we'll also be here to talk about MotoGP and the brand finale and uh hopefully hopefully <laughs> oh my goodness um king you got any predictions for the brand finale
2: uh it's not going to surprise anyone when I say I hope Jamie Chatham wins so,
1: so he's going for Vietzka Visser <laughs> it's a riveting <laughs> prediction oh man alright we've had our fun let's get the hell out of here for an absent Andre Harrison who is here with us in spirit and in post production for Ryan King and Cam Buckley I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long and thank you very much for listening Later, y'all! BYE! Until next time.